Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the PPC podcast. It's special because this is episode 10. We've done 10 episodes of the PPC podcast. It's also special because I'm by myself. I'm your host, Gary Gerhard. I'm flying solo today. Going to be talking about some fun stuff. You know, it's funny when you fly, fly solo, even though you're by yourself, you definitely could use the help of a lot of people. Uh, some of you might know that when I was in college, I got my pilot's license. And um, I've got this story where, you know, you never really feel like you're ready to do your very first solo flight. And I remember asking my instructor, like, I don't feel ready. And he's like, okay. And I said, do you think I'm ready? He said, yeah. Yeah, I think you can do it. And so I did it, right? Just based on the fact that he believed in me and he thought that I wouldn't crash, burn, and die. Um, So I just want to tell all of you, thank you so much for uh, all the encouraging words that you've given us about the podcast, uh, saying that uh, you really enjoyed it on your commute, um, saying that it's really well-made and sounds great. I really appreciate all that, and it helps give me the confidence to fly solo again. So that's what we'll be doing. So let's go ahead and get started today, as what we're talking about is the web 2.0, the church 2.0, and kind of how the church is changing. I think this is a revolution, right? I think that this is a really profound change in the way human affairs are arranged. And I use that word advisedly. So this is Clay Shirky. He is talking about uh, really the, the web 2.0 and uh, how the web started changing from more of information, you know, uh, websites giving information to people, institutions giving out information to what we call the web 2.0, which is kind of um, all of us giving information uh, to each other. Um, social media sites, blogging, amateur writing, and how that has kind of become the norm. As with the printing press, if it's really a revolution, it doesn't take us from point A to point B. It takes us from point A to chaos, right? The printing press precipitated 200 years of chaos moving from a world where the Catholic Church was the sort of organizing political force to the Treaty of Westphalia when we finally knew what the new unit was, the nation state. Now, I'm not predicting 200 years of chaos as a result of this. 50. 50 years in which loosely coordinated groups are going to be given increasingly high leverage And the more those groups forego traditional institutional imperatives like deciding in advance what's going to happen or the profit motive, the more leverage they'll get. And institutions are going to come under an increasing degree of pressure. And the more rigidly managed and the more they rely on information monopolies, the greater the pressure is going to be. And that's going to happen one arena at a time, one institution at a time. The forces are general, but the results are going to be specific. And so the point here is not, this is wonderful, or we're going to see a transition from only institutions to only cooperative framework. It's going to be much more complicated than that. But the point is that it's going to be a massive readjustment. And since we can see it in advance and know it's coming, my argument is essentially we might as well get good at it. Right. Okay. So we can definitely see that there's implications for this for the church, right? So uh, he, Clay finishes by talking about um, that this is kind of a transition and a shift from institutions, the way they uh, give out information and the way that people receive it. And if you can think of the church um, definitely as an institution, right? It's been an institution for thousands of years. And one of its primary goals it was definitely to preach and teach. So fulfilling the Great Commission is going to make disciples and uh, teaching them all the things that Jesus uh, said and did. And so it's always been an institution, at least partly made up of information. So the reason why 
Um, we often talk about social media and the church. And for me, that this is such an important thing is because I think it holds huge implications for the church. And the shift in the way people get information is definitely filtering down in the way people expect to interact with the church. So to give some really um, basic examples, um, imagine kind of how people have, have can feel a lot more comfortable uh, watching the sermons online uh, versus uh, the difficulty it would have been to get the sermon on television, right? So if we wanted to have the sermon here at PPC on TV, um, I don't even know the cost of that kind of equipment and the cost of renting the broadcasting time and energy. And it definitely would have been um, huge giant churches doing that. And the audiences would have been probably, you know, not necessarily people who attended that church because they had to find this programming on television. If they were sitting down on TV, you know, it could have been broadcasted all across the state, even nationwide. But now look at how on someone's smartphone, uh, someone who's attended the church and started following the page, uh, our Facebook page, or somebody who uh, found out about the church because uh, they drove by it, or, or, or for whatever reason, they're kind of already connected to the church because they're following us on Facebook. Then they see, uh, they get a notification that we're going live, and no matter where they are on Sunday morning, um, they don't have to be at home in front of a TV. They could be uh, running errands, or they could be... Um, just somewhere near their phone and they and they feel like they have the time as they go ahead and tune in and they watch the live video of our service on their phone. But then an even more uh, dynamic shift in the web 2.0 is that uh, now people can like, they literally do this thing. There's like a wave emoticon where you can wave and you can tell people that you're here, other people that are watching. And of course, you can make comments and interact uh, with the service. Uh, it might feel one-sided because the person teaching, either Tobin or Alfredo, uh, they're not necessarily gonna see those comments, but definitely other people watching can read those comments and you could easily get a conversation going. Um, you can tell your reactions to people and they're going to see them because all the comments go live and unless they're aggressively monitored and deleted, uh, for something that someone doesn't seem as appropriate, uh, someone's comment is going to be seen by everybody watching the video. And imagine the shift in authority and power that that is, right? That um, our church has a live video, and no matter who they are, if they're following our page, they can say something like, wow, this is really important, or I really like this, it really connected with me. That is the norm in the web 2.0. It is, it is normal to have content created very easily by an individual or even a church. And then it's normal for that content to be spread very conveniently and then interacted with, either liked or shared or commented on or giving your opinion on it and saying how uh, it affected you. And so uh, if you think about that shift, I think that um, as a church, one of the cool things is, is that we definitely um, kind of have a benefit in the fact that we put out content and that we do teach. I mean, we are an information, um, at least some information uh, is important to us as a church, and uh, we we share that, we teach, we give Bible studies, we talk about uh, how we grow as individual, closer to God, discipleship, we give out, uh, you know, our, our view and opinion of the Bible and the world around us. And so we have the ability uh, to share that uh, through social media and give that to people to use um, however they kind of want to use it. You know, definitely most likely today on their mobile device. Take this podcast, for example. Uh, one of the reasons why we started this is because we really felt that while the sermon is great to watch during the week, the, con 
text of that sermon. The best place to see that is definitely Sunday morning. We've designed the service. The worship team has done a great job of really you know, making that the best service that it can be. And they're really thinking about the Sunday morning experience on campus, being greeted by someone, being able to see the person speaking, being able to feel the music, participate in worship. So when we share that sermon, we definitely hope and want people to watch that and get a glimpse of what PPC is really like. But if we wanted to give someone a piece of content and information that they can absorb during the middle of the week, and we really wanted it to affect them and touch them and reach them, I think the best way to do that is with a piece of content that we've created specifically for the middle of the week, for their week, their work week, um, whatever our members are going through and doing, we wanted them to be able to have something to encourage them and challenge them uh, beyond the Sunday morning that was designed uh, to best be shown here in person. And so that's one way that we're kind of taking advantage of the Web 2.0. And that's one way that we are um, becoming a church 2.0 by thinking of our campus as not just this physical campus, but thinking about our campus and even our members and our guests as extended beyond uh, the boundaries and walls of this building into the digital space into social media, into um, people's smartphones, if you think about it, you know, extending the church experience onto their mobile device. Clay, uh, from the TED Talk earlier that we listened to, uh, he kind of mentioned that, you know, whether or not this is a good thing, there's probably some pros and cons. The reality is, is it's something that we're going to need to be good at if we want our institution to continue to thrive um, in the present state and the future. But see, here's with me, here's where... Uh, this kind of gets interesting and it kind of gets a difficult thing to navigate this web 2.0 and the church 2.0 is uh, the question is always going to arise is what are we losing, right? Uh, the church 2.0, I mean, is it quote unquote better than the church 1.0? I mean, if we do this, if we make these transitions to online, we're definitely going to be losing something, right? I mean, it's not the way church that we always did. And I think there's definitely a case to be made for that. And I think the easiest way to see that is through community. Aren't we losing community when we are expecting people or wanting people to connect through their mobile device? Isn't their mobile device anti-community? Aren't we just like our screens, locked into our screens, not caring about the world around us, not caring about the people sitting right next to us, only caring about this thing that's on our smartphone? And so that's a question that I've always had. That's definitely something that I struggled with, with increased use of social media and web tools. So I decided last night to talk to some of, some of our students um, and some of the people who join us at our youth group in the middle of the week. I think you'll be surprised about what our students, our college and high school students said about social media and whether or not they think true community can be found. Uh, the first person I talked to last night uh, was Isaac, and this is what he had to say. All right, so the pros and cons of online communities. There are multiple pros, but also multiple cons. I personally uh, value in-person conversation and in-person communities, but there are some aspects of that in online communities, such as being able to talk to people and being able to connect to people. But some things that just are vacant of online communities is the genuality of being face-to-face with somebody and really being able to read their emotions, really being able to understand them as like a human being, what they're potentially going through, seeing like 
who they actually are and not just this profile picture on this social media page with some pictures or videos of fun times or some quotes plastered on there showing them not showing them showing you what they want you to see and not actually showing you every aspect of their life whereas in a social conversation in a social interaction you can at least get a gauge off of somebody of whether or not they are stating true facts about themselves and they're not just like bluffing about certain things like on a social media page meeting somebody on a social platform and like a social community you can at least bring that into the real world and you can actually you know meet someone online and then meet them in person and you can determine whether they were whether their social media account was what you anticip anticipated it to be and that's what i believe the pros and cons of a social interaction social community are is just that the lack of genuality right so isaac uh shares this a uh, little bit of trepidation and, and consciousness when it comes to social media. Uh, he definitely sees that there's some value in connecting with people. But like you said, there's this issue with being genuine. I mean, you, if you can be whoever you want on social media, how do we know if it's the real you? And one thing you'll learn about uh, teenagers and young adults is they definitely value authenticity. And some of that value comes from an overreaction to the Web 2.0 where people can create their own identities and they can create... Um, a separate identity than who, quote-unquote, they really are in real life. And while that it seems fun and safe, it's, for many of us, and even students and young adults, we feel that um, that kind of goes against our human nature. Being able to uh, change who you are and alter that perception in a whole new space, being social media, that that kind of goes against um, something that we've never really been able to do. Um, in the past. And so Isaac kind of shares that um, that fear and that worry that social media platforms take away our ability to see if someone is who they really are. And so that was kind of a kind of a, th a common theme. Some of our students shared last night. Uh, I talked to Eva. Uh, she's one of our uh, young adults, and uh, this is what she said. I like to use Snapchat and Instagram uh, because I like sending little snap like little pictures your snapshots of what's going on throughout my day. Um, that being said, I don't feel like it's a real sense of community. So even though I know my Snapchats and my Instagram pictures are pretty authentic and I like to keep them that way, I know a lot of people like to add filters and change things so that there's this perception that they're living a perfect life. And I don't think you can really get a true sense of community that way because it's all about trying to impress other people rather than showing what you're actually all about. Right, so true community comes with being who you are. Uh, can you make true community if you're not honest and truthful with those around you? Um, what a great statement, right? So uh, one, one of the things that we get as a church is when we gather here uh, together, uh, we can build community because we can see each other face to face and we can make um our perception about you, if you're a kind person, if you're a genuine person, and those kinds of interactions, and even our nonverbal cues, the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we uh, uh, talk with our face and our eyes, all of those things definitely lead to feeling closer to someone, and that leads to more authentic community. So even our young adults are recognizing that that's something that's missing from digital and online communities. 
Uh, next, I talked to Lauren. Uh, she is a sophomore in high school, and uh, she was. This is what she was saying about social media platforms. I guess the social media platform I like to use the most is Instagram, um, and I like it because you can communicate with other people that may not live near you, or you like just met someone. Or for me, in Color Guard, we meet other guard, other Color Guard people, and we follow each other on Instagram and get to talk to each other through that. Um, I think it kind of, you know, brings a sense of community, but like also doesn't. Um, it does in the way that you can communicate with other people, but it doesn't because like you're not talking to them and having experiences with them face to face. Okay, so we begin to see um, a little bit of a shift where uh, Lauren was talking about some of the benefits of social media platforms and the web 2.0. So she said, for example, that one of the things that she does like is if she meets someone at a color guard, you know, competition from another school or another area, and they swap Instagram usernames, uh, she can stay connected to that person. And I know for myself, um, that's a huge benefit that I see in social media. Uh, when Facebook first came out in 2007, uh, I was in college and it was gaining quite a lot of popularity, but I wasn't too interested. I still found a lot more value in connecting with people face to face. It wasn't until I moved uh, to the Midwest in uh, 2010, or a little bit later after that, that I wanted to have one. I moved away from all my family, all the friends I, I grew up with, uh, all the friends that I had made as an adult up until that point. And so I definitely wanted to have some kind of way to stay connected with them, and that was through social media. And you guys listening, that might be one of the main reasons. Maybe somebody you knew, an old friend, uh, maybe you wanted to stay connected with people, and over time, that's kind of the main reason why Facebook became so popular is that we wanted to stay connected uh, with those people that we couldn't be connected with physically on a daily or weekly basis just because of whether geography or just time and other issues like that. And so that's one of the benefits. But, you know, she definitely still feels like there is a sacrifice that we are making when we connect uh, digitally as opposed to face-to-face. -face. And that community is a little bit strained. Um, so next we're going to hear from uh, AJ, who uh, AJ is uh, also a college-age student, and this is what he had to say about online communities. Uh, well, my favorite social media app has got to be Instagram. I love that the posts on there are more well thought out than just randomly posting to, say, Twitter, Facebook, and those apps. But the most community I find is on Facebook. There's a Chevrolet Volt community on there that I found, and every time somebody posts, there's 50 or more comments with somebody helping out their fellow Volt owners. Okay, so AJ specifically mentions Instagram. And uh, last week, AJ did the Enneagram, and he got, I think, one of the numbers that he picked up on was four. And if you know anything about fours, um, they're more creative. And if you know anything about Instagram, it seems to be kind of a more natural place for that. Instagram started as a social media platform really focused on photography. And you could edit your photos and make them look really good or over-edited. Um, but that's kind of built into that platform. So when he says they're kind of more well thought out is you're more likely to see um, people kind of sharing their art and sharing their photography and videography on Instagram. And that's one aspects of social media that he enjoys and finds value in. But then he mentions this like um, affinity group. And so AJ and I both have Chevy Volts and I showed him this uh, Facebook community group because I actually broke my charger and I asked this community, this Facebook group uh, for some advice and I got 
so many uh, responses of what to do, exactly what parts to buy to repair it. And all of that literally was in 10 or 15 minutes because people get notifications that somebody posted to the group. And so he sees that and he sees, well, that's that's pretty close to community, someone helping one another for, I mean, no apparent reason. Um, actually, when I posted my question in the vault, someone went out to their car, took a photo of the thing they were trying to explain and posted that to the group so that I could see, right? I don't, I don't know this person at all. And yet they're taking some time out of the day to help me. Um, interestingly enough, I asked AJ, uh, have you commented and participated in that community? And he said, no, not yet. Just reading the comments and noticing that uh, there seems to be people helping one another. So I think that's kind of a good way to segue into, I think, the the biggest um, part of online communities. If you want to find true community there, the best way to do that is with intentionality, is to make sure that uh, people are participating and maybe even some guidelines to encourage participation so that there is true community. So for me, the best example I have of this is when I completed my graduate school online. And up until starting this program, I had not done any online schooling. And to be honest, I was a little bit anxious. Um, basically, it sounded like all homework all the time uh, because you're working from home. And homework wasn't my favorite thing to do. Um, I don't know if it's anyone's favorite thing to do. And so I was a little uh, worried about just the amount of time it would take to do all this uh, stuff at home and work on this. And one of the aspects of the program that they... Uh, wanted to make sure there was was the the replication of classroom community. So one thing you don't get with online school is the connection you have and and even the friendship you build with other classmates and professors. And so it sounded really counterintuitive, but the best way that they did this was with kind of strict rules. And so, uh, you, for example, all your posts had to have um, some type of of greeting or salutation. You couldn't be short. So if somebody asks a question on the discussion boards for the online school, um, unless it was one, literally one sentence or a few words, uh, they really wanted you to say, you know, dear so-and-so or a uh, great post and, and say the person's name and then end with, you know, a, a salutation, right? End with, uh, make, make sure you're putting your name in there. And at first it seemed like forced uh, politeness. But over time you found out that it kind of helped. It, it made the post seem a little bit more thought out, that someone was considering your post uh, long enough to take the time to write those greetings and salutations, and it felt uh, more heartfelt. And uh, another counterintuitive uh, way that they formed community was requiring you to respond. And uh, that seems like, wow, someone's only responding to my post because they're getting points. Um, for example, at every class, beginning of class, you had to uh, do an introduction, introduce yourself, typically answer three questions like, what, why are you in this program? What do you hope to get out of it? And what are some of your hobbies and uh, favorite activities? And in the syllabus was, you must respond to two of these, you know, um, to get points for the first week of class. And that seems like, man, these posts are going to be lame. They're going to be people just responding by saying, hi, nice to meet you, and then copy and pasting that. But typically, that's not what it was at all. It was you mentioning um, a favorite activity or hobby, and then someone jumping in there and saying, oh, I love that too. Uh, you know, tell me more about that. You know, where do you live? Because these people from all across the country... And there'd be some there'd be some really good conversation. So much so that after the first week, even though you weren't required to participate in that introductory discussion, there'd still be conversations going on in those discussion boards um, about those hobbies and about the things those people enjoyed, and that felt like a real community. And definitely another way that uh, community was fostered was you were definitely encouraged in this program to share personal experiences. And when people would often share difficult things, um, you know, people would be kind and compassionate 
and um, it was an expectation that in this grad school that you were uh, you know, polite to people. This wasn't uh, an online argument where people were just saying uh, inflammatory things and checking out. And so because of all those things, I definitely felt like I made some friends and I had true community um, in that program. And um, I made some friends from that and even uh, eventually did get to meet them in a couple places. And we still uh, often have email conversations uh, to this day. So I definitely think it's possible, but it definitely takes intentionality and it takes effort. And so that's what I think uh, the best thing that we can do as a church uh, members uh, moving into a church 2.0 kind of web 2.0 world is making sure that we are as uh, good stewards of God's grace and God's love, that we are intentional about the way that we we interact with people on our social media accounts, obviously with kindness, but even intentionality. So I like to think of if someone makes a comment on a live video from our church, you know, it would be awesome to have PPC members um, greeting people in there, you know, saying things like whatever this person's name is, you know, Bob, thanks so much for, for the comment. Um, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed the sermon. I hope to see you here someday or, or, or something like that. And when we do, um, for example, right now we have an ad campaign going on for our ping pong tournament and people are tagging who don't go to our church or tagging other people's names in there. But man, it'd be really cool with some intentional uh, thought, some members of PPC going into those comment sections of those Facebook posts and saying things like, oh my gosh, it was so fun last year. I really do hope you guys come. Because right now those people are just kind of sharing that as a fun thing to maybe do in June. But with some intentionality and some personal invitations, even though you don't know them and you're not talking to them face to face, you can engage them introduce yourself a little bit and say, hope to see you there. It is a lot of fun. Let me know if you have any questions. I'm going to be there. Um, I'll definitely say hi to you if you guys decide to come. I think that kind of an intentionality in our online communities, I think will go a long ways because as we move along this web 2.0 longer and longer, it seems to be that people are kind of getting shorter and shorter and you're more likely to just kind of observe uh, social media platforms than you are to engage in them. It takes a little bit extra effort. If you use Instagram, you might even notice kind of a transition from a post form where you can comment to a stories format where you a little bit more one way where you just watch people's stories and you're not as encouraged enough. You're not encouraged as much to comment and participate in that. And I think um, I think you do lose a little bit. So I hope you guys take that uh, challenge and consider yourselves a little bit a part of the PPC digital street team um, that you're out there and making sure you're engaging with people who engage with our content. Um, inviting them and, and really speaking to them with, with love and grace. Uh, so before I end, um, I just want to answer a question as I'm sure if you're uh, just curious, you're probably wondering if there's the web 1.0, which was kind of one-way communication, and we're kind of in the middle of web 2.0, then shouldn't we be thinking about web 3.0 right now? And it's a very good question. Uh, the very first uh, audio clip that you heard from Clay was actually uh, posted nine and a half years ago, almost 10 years ago, but he's talking about the onset of Web 2.0. And yes, the Web 3.0 is coming. And um, it isn't quite yet defined. And there's many theories on what that is. And from my research, um, the best way to kind of look at the Web 3.0 is is kind of a smart internet. Um, it's an internet that takes information. And instead of giving you everything that you would want, it's giving you things that it thinks that you might want based on data and based on information. The best example is Netflix recommendations. So Web 2.0 uh, would have been Amazon product reviews. It would have been every video on on 
Netflix has a person's username, right? They're trying to build community a little bit, giving you a chance to make a username and an avatar and leave comments. I, I you know, so-and-so, you know, um, I don't know, Raiders fan 424 says, love this movie. It was a little bit longer than I wanted, but overall we enjoyed it. And then maybe, you know, comment after comment after comment would be um, giving people the platform to share their view. But Web 3.0 is is smart. It's taking people's uh, kind of quick reviews that you can leave of whether or not you liked you like that video or not. It's pumping that through an algorithm based on your viewing behavior and it's suggesting movies that it thinks that you'll like. And it's not giving them a rating. For example, if you notice, it doesn't say this movie is rated five stars. It says, we think there's an 84% chance that you'll like this movie. Something like that. Um, so that's kind of the Web 3.0. And does it have implications for the church? You bet it does. Of course it will have implications for the church as people move into this new era of the way they communicate. What are those implications? I, I don't really know. Um, I, I don't know if it's reviews. I don't know if it's Google suggesting uh, churches that it thinks you'll like based on your social media things you share about on social media and whether or not the church cares about these things. I have no idea. That seems a little bit scary and a little bit strange. But um, that's kind of where things are going um, eventually. And um, like we heard in our video, like Clay said, um, doesn't mean we have to uh, jump on these things and say they're the newest, greatest, best thing. But as an institution... For us to continue to thrive and flourish, it's probably a good idea that we get good at and understand what it's all about. Thanks again for listening to the 10th episode of the PPC podcast. Uh, as always, uh, make sure that uh, you're following us on Instagram and Facebook and uh, you're sharing uh, the videos and these podcasts to your friends and neighbors. And if you don't know how to do that, uh, typically in every way that you listen to it, whether it's uh, an app on your Android or the iTunes uh, app, there's always a share button. And you can share this podcast and other podcasts and even sermons, clicking that share button and then clicking uh, your social media platform of choice or even email and go ahead and sharing this out. Uh, we definitely believe that these podcasts, just like our online sermons, are a great front door, a great window into what PPC is all about for people who don't know anything about uh, what we care about, what we're passionate about, and uh, what PPC's vision is all about. So make sure you share this stuff as best as you can. And as always, we'll see you Sunday morning.